So we're going to come now to God's Word, but before we go there, I want us to turn to Belgic Confession, Article 34, in the back of the hymnal we just sang from, which is on page 868, 868. And here we have a faithful summary of what the Bible teaches regarding the sacrament of baptism. I'm going to read this. Uh, It's somewhat... Uh, swiftly uh, so we can get through this and we don't spend too much time. Uh, But listen carefully to what the scriptures teach as summarized here in the Belgian Confession, Article 34. We believe and confess that Jesus Christ, in whom the law is fulfilled, has by his shed blood put an end to every other shedding of blood which anyone might do or wish to do in order to atone or satisfy for sins. Having abolished circumcision, which was done with blood, he established in its place the sacrament of baptism. By it we are received into God's church and set apart from all other people and alien religions that we may be dedicated entirely to him, bearing his mark and sign. It also witnesses to us that he will be our God forever since he is our gracious Father. We'll actually end reading there. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. That's the main uh, point that I want us to uh, dwell upon uh, from Daniel chapter 1. So we're going to turn now to God's word. Daniel chapter 1. Many of you know we've been in a series through the book of Daniel. We're actually up to chapter 8, so you might be wondering why we're going back to chapter 1. Well, I want to focus on uh, something related to baptism. And you might say, well, why are you going to the Old Testament to speak about baptism? Well, as we had just read in the Belgic Confession and taught to us in the Scriptures, circumcision is replaced by baptism. But both circumcision and baptism... Both circumcision and baptism point to one and the same spiritual reality, namely Christ and his righteousness. Circumcision pointed to it from the Old Testament as something to come. And baptism now points to it as something that has come. But circumcision and baptism point to the one and same reality. And now that, uh, that Christ's blood has been shed, circumcision has been replaced with baptism. And so we can think upon Daniel... Uh, One who had been born in God's covenant in the Old Testament. One who had borne on his body the covenant sign of circumcision uh, as relating to um, our call as those baptized into Christ Jesus. Even as Daniel was as he looked forward to the Christ. And so that's a short defense of why we can look even here to Daniel to think about baptism. And so let's begin reading uh, Daniel chapter 1, and we'll read the whole chapter here. This is the holy and inspired word of God. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. 
And these next two verses are what I really want us to focus on. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who were of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink, and then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you, and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that he should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. So far from God's holy word, let's pray that he might bless this word to us. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We ask that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and that we might know the wonder of your covenants and of the ways in which you act for your people as their God and the ways in which you enable your people, even your servants long ago like Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah to walk in your ways, to be faithful to you, their God, even in a hostile land. Father, may your covenant be all the more recognized and known by us that it might inspire in us uh, thanksgiving and gratitude and obedience in our hearts for your great name. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, it might seem like a very insignificant thing that when Daniel, Mishael, Hananiah, and Azariah were brought into the Babylonian courts, that their names were changed, right? That's what we're told in verse 6. The chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. But there's great significance to this because throughout the scriptures, names are more than just mere sounds or ways of designating something. Names reflect the reality of something, and the name of someone reflects who they are, and at times, who they belong to. You might remember when Israel was captive in Egypt, and they cry out to the Lord, and the Lord remembers them. He remembers his covenant with his people, 
And he appears to Moses in that burning bush. And he sends Moses to go and deliver his people to appear before Pharaoh. And Moses asks the Lord, who shall I say has sent me? And it's then that God in Exodus chapter 3 gives Moses his name. The name Yahweh. I am the one who is not dependent upon anything but one who is independent and can rescue his people and one who keeps faith and keeps covenant forever. See, the name Yahweh wasn't just a designation. It wasn't an arbitrary thought that came to God's mind, but rather it spoke to who he was. Names are significant. When a child is to be born, right, one of the, only, one of the main questions you get asked is, what will you name the child? And usually there's some thought to that. There's some significance to that. We, of course, named our son Daniel uh, after the Daniel of Scriptures, but also after myself, but also more than that, um, after our, uh, his grandfathers. Uh, Susanna's father's name is Daniel. My father's name is Jerome. And both men are godly men who raised us to know and love the Lord. So in honor of God's covenant mercies drowned down to Susanna and myself and now to our son, we named him Daniel Jerome after our grandfathers. And we can go on with all of the children's names here. I thought about doing that, but I realized we'd be here for an hour just, you know, discussing that. So talk to some of the parents here and ask, what, what led you to this name? Uh, what made you choose this name for your son, right? Names, even as we think about them today, are significant. They reflect the reality of things. And so Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah appear in the courts of Babylon and they appear there and have their names changed. This is a great and a significant thing. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, all of their names reflect something of their God. Now, it's difficult to pinpoint exactly which, what each name meant, but all of them either have the word El, as in Elohim, referring to the God of Israel, or it has the ending Ah as in Yahweh, which is the God who revealed himself to Israel, right? Daniel, Daniel, which means God is my judge. The name Hananiah, as in Yahweh, Hananiah's name likely meant God has been gracious or God has gifted. Mishael is a question, who is like our God? Who is like God, reflecting his uniqueness, Mishael? El, and also Azariah, as in Yahweh, which means Yahweh has helped. You see, their names reflected their God. Their names reflected um, who they belonged to and what was most dear and most true about them. And so now, as the chief of the eunuchs begins to change their name, he's trying to not merely just confuse them, but to make them forget their God. But it's not merely just their names, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, but rather these given Hebrew names reflected on the surface a deeper, a truer, a more wonderful name that they all had. It's an important point. Let me repeat that. They're given Hebrew names, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, reflected on the surface the deeper, truer, more wonderful name that they possessed. And that 
was the name of their God. It's similar to us today where we might have, of course, different names. We all have different names here. But we all bear the name Christian, right? You bear the name Christian because you are united to Jesus Christ. And this is what baptism signifies. And so too, Daniel bore the name of his God, as did Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah. God had placed his name upon them within his covenant of grace. Notice with me, uh, or turn with me to Numbers chapter 6. Or you can listen if you don't want to exercise your fingers here. In Numbers chapter 6, here the high priest, who was the priest of the covenant that God had established with Israel, would speak these words of blessing over the people of Israel. Numbers chapter 6, verse 24, the priest would say, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Now we often stop there, but notice the consequence of that. Verse 27, So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. Right? God placed his name upon the people of Israel, upon Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah as members of his covenant. And these four Hebrew boys bore that mark that they belonged to the Lord, that they possessed his name in their bodies through the covenant sign of circumcision. It's not mentioned here directly, but as, three, as four Hebrew boys, they bore the mark of circumcision. And that mark was a sign and seal of God's covenant with them. A sign and seal that his name was placed upon them. And it's this deeper reality that their parents reflected in naming them Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah. It's that deeper reality, that deeper covenant reality that is reflected in their names. Later, Daniel, when he prays to the Lord in Daniel chapter 9, notice how he addresses the Lord. Daniel chapter 9, verse 4, Daniel writes, I prayed to the Lord, my my God, and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. That's how Daniel addressed his God. Daniel himself was conscious that he belonged to God. He was in covenant with God. And that covenant bonded him and bound him and tethered him and kept him close to his God in a personal relationship. Their names reflected on the surface the deeper, truer, more wonderful reality that God had placed his names upon them and they were members of his covenant. In light of that, now think about the chief of the eunuchs trying to change their name. It wasn't merely just to confuse them, to adopt them to Babylonian culture. It was an attempt to dislodge them from the covenant of grace that God had brought them into. It was an attempt to make them forget the covenant, forget their God. Forget that their God is one who keeps covenant and steadfast love to those who love him. It's this that brought about the significance of these name changes. It was an attempt 
to dislodge them from the covenant they had been born into and the covenant God had received them in by his grace. Later in Daniel chapter 4, verse 8, we see something again further of the significance of these name changes. Daniel chapter 4, verse 8, as uh, Daniel is, is uh, to appear before um, King Nebuchadnezzar again to reveal his dream. And it says in verse 8, At last, as Nebuchadnezzar is writing, At last Daniel came in before me, he who was named Belteshazzar, after the name of my God. Right? All of their names were changed no longer to reflect their God, the God of Israel, Yahweh, but instead to reflect the gods of Nebuchadnezzar and of Babylon. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Bel being one of the gods of the Babylonians, Hananiah called Shadrach, Mishael called Meshach, Azariah called Abednego. It was to strip them of their covenant identity and to cause them to take and adopt the gods around them, to be unfaithful to their God. Now, they might have thought to themselves, you know, we're in exile. We've just been taken captive. We, maybe we ought to forget our God. Maybe, we, maybe he has not kept covenant. Maybe he hasn't been faithful. But instead... As we see as their stories unfold here in chapter 1 and all the way through the end of this book, we find that not only do they remember their God, but most importantly, and first and foremost, their God remembers them. God remains with them, even in exile. And God had told them through the prophets that he would be with them, even though his judgment is coming, even though they will be sent in exile. God promised them, and Daniel... Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah believed that promise and knew that even in exile, God was with them. Their covenant God was with them. And therefore, they knew and they had God's word hidden in their hearts that they learned as youth in the city of Jerusalem. But they also bore on their bodies the mark of the covenant, namely that of circumcision as a sign and a seal of that deeper reality that they were not their own but they belonged, body and soul, in life and in death, to their God. And so they were given these new names to make them forget that. But Daniel and his friends demonstrate that, if, that God is faithful and God keeps covenant. And so as we think about these things, I want to first mention uh, two temptations um, and kind of two applications and then I want to think about the promise of baptism as it, was looked at, as it was signified long ago in circumcision and the obligation of baptism as it is demonstrated also by Daniel and his friends. But first, the temptation. So right, we may think about, okay, well, nobody's trying to necessarily change my name today, right? Um, nobody's looking for my birth certificate, wherever that might be locked away in some safe somewhere, right? No, they're not trying to change my name. Maybe they're stealing my identity, but they're not trying to change my name. Well, not on the surface. Not on the surface. You see, the two temptations that we have around us is either that we try to make a name for ourselves, right? That's the modern mindset. Mastering yourself, mastering your world, determining who you are for yourself. And it's often applauded when people grow up to reject the faith of their 
parents or reject the traditions that they once held. It's, it's applauded as brave, as courageous, as noble and a good thing. We see deconstruction narratives happening all around us as those who were grown up in the church are rejecting the faith and then they're applauded by the world around them of saying, wow, how brave, how courageous of you to make your own way. So the first temptation is for all of us to make a name for ourselves. We live in a city in which making a name for yourself is the principle. It's the mode of operation here in New York City. We find it all around us. And yet we find in the end that those who have tried to name themselves as they come to the end of their lives and even before then find such names to be meaningless and empty and carrying very little weight in the end. And so the one temptation is not only to be named by somebody else, but to name myself. The other temptation is to allow the world to name you, to get my identity from the world around us today That identity, that name is often in the categories of our sexuality. That is how we name people today. That is how the world seeks to give identities to people today. So whether we are trying to name ourselves or we simply want the world to name us so we have their approval, both in the end show themselves empty and is proved empty even by Daniel and his friends as they live not for making a name for themselves, And not by receiving the names of Babylon, but by living according to the name that God has given them. Namely, God's own name. They would remember their circumcision as we are to remember our baptism. In which we are baptized into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We are brought into fellowship with the triune God, signified and sealed in the waters of baptism. The waters of baptism point to the blood of Christ. And it's the blood of Christ that alone can cleanse us and make us right with God and reconcile us with God. The the, the waters of baptism, as they signify the blood of Christ, is a means unto an end. It's the blood that reconciles us to God. And it brings us into fellowship with Him as we are baptized, or even as Daniel was, circumcised into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now we have more clarity, but it's the same reality that Daniel was called to live according to, even as we are not to name ourselves, not to let the world name us, but to live according to the name into which we are baptized, the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So those are the two temptations and what we want to see going forward. Now I want us to reflect upon the promise of baptism and the obligations of baptism. And this is reflected as we read in the Belgic Confession. I was going to read the whole thing. You could read it this afternoon for yourself. But I want to highlight what we read early on. It says this, by baptism, we are received into God's church. Right? And this is why we administer baptism to our children. They are members of Christ's church. They are members of his covenant. And therefore, they are baptized. By it, we are received into God's church and set apart from all other people and alien religions. That that we may be dedicated entirely to him bearing his mark. It also witnesses to us that he will be our God forever, since he is our gracious father, right? So we see both promise and obligation here. Baptism witnesses that God will be our God forever. What a beautiful promise that is. 
No greater thing could God give us than himself. And that is signified and sealed in baptism. Signified and sealed to Daniel today. Signified and sealed in all of the children of this congregation through the waters of baptism. The promise. He will be our God forever. The obligation that we may be dedicated entirely to him. And we see both of these things playing themselves out in the narratives uh, in the book of Daniel. The promise that, that God would be Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah's God, and the obligation then to live for him and be dedicated entirely to him. So first, let's think briefly about the promise of baptism, that God will be our God forever. This gets at the heart of God's covenant promise, one that's often repeated here and one that's repeated here because it's repeated throughout the scriptures. And so we just want to echo the words of God as much as we can, as best as we can. And that covenant promise echoed throughout the scriptures is, I will be your God and you will be my people. I will be your God. And so Daniel when he was circumcised, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, when they were circumcised, had signified as a sign pointing to a spiritual reality and sealed upon them the reality that God was their God. Just as the waters of baptism signify and seal the same thing. It's why when Jesus, before he ascends, gives his disciples the great commission, he says to them, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into, I think a better translation than in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit is to baptize into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. To baptize in the name says more about the one administering the baptism. It says that I do so authorized by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But to say into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit speaks about the goal or the purpose of God's covenant that's signified and sealed in baptism, that we might have fellowship with God. Gerhardus Voss puts it this way. The meaning is, reflecting the words, into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The meaning is that by baptism, one comes to stand in a personal relationship with the triune God, who is called by the name Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The name is the revelation of the being. The being of God is in his name. Thus, to be baptized into the name indicates entering into that relationship with God, whereby his being becomes the full truth for us. By baptism, the first person of the Trinity becomes for us a father who adopts us for his children and heirs and promises to provide us with all good and avert all evil and turn it to our benefit. Do we not see that happening throughout the narratives of Daniel? God, his father, averting all evil and turning it to their benefit. Just to conclude here with Voss, he says this, Likewise, with the Son and the Holy Spirit, to be baptized into the name of the triune God speaks of coming into a practical, personal relationship with the Trinity. Baptism is not just a general symbol of Christianity. It is a seal of the covenant of grace. It is a seal of the covenant of grace. The same covenant that Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah was in. The same covenant that Daniel, Jerome, Ragusa is in. The same covenant that all who profess Christ are in today as well. It's one covenant of grace. 
differently administered in the Old Testament according to the sign of circumcision, now according in the New Covenant as the sign of baptism. But it's one covenant of grace. And therefore, we can learn greatly what it looks like to know the promise of God's covenant through even Daniel in the Old Testament. God's promise that he will be his God forever. He will be his God forever. We see this reflected. We'll look through a few verses here in Daniel to see this. The promise and God keeping his promise to be Daniel's God forever. We see Daniel, uh, we see God with Daniel and his friends, delivering them, providing them wisdom. For example, in chapter 1, verse 17, as Daniel tests uh, the, the, the dietary laws and requirements, eating only vegetables, somehow surviving on that, Daniel, rather than appearing weak and frail, appears stronger than all of the other men and all of the other youth in, uh, in Babylon. Of course, that's only supernatural, right? God is the one sustaining and providing him and making him stronger. But then notice also, not only God providing and being their God in that regard, but also verse 17. It's kind of a summary statement of their entire lives in Babylon. It says, as for these four youths, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. As we're going to see, this rescued them and delivered them and saved them time after time again. God is acting as their God. He's fulfilling their promise to be their God forever. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 23, as Nebuchadnezzar has this terrible dream and he's to put all the wise men to death, including Daniel and his friends, Daniel asks for time and prays to his God, asking that the dream might be revealed to him. And notice what Daniel says as he prays in thanking his God in chapter 2, verse 23. He says, To you, O God of my fathers. It's covenant language, right? It, it, he knows that as God was with his father, so he is with him as well. It is God keeping covenant as he would pray in Daniel chapter 9. To you, O God of my father, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might. Later in chapter 3, when Mishael and Hananiah and Azariah are appear, appear before King Nebuchadnezzar, who had required all people to bow before the image he had set up by threat of the fiery furnace. These three Hebrew boys are brought before King Nebuchadnezzar, who gives them one last chance to bow down and worship the image. But notice what they say, chapter 3, verse 15. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, where does that language come from? It's reflecting for them their consciousness of being in covenant with God. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hands, O king. Whenever we see that possessive language, our God, my God, all of it is reflecting the covenant that God has entered into with his people. And even before this great and powerful king who held their their lives in his own hands, they would rather confess their God because they know their God is with them. He had promised them and that was signified and sealed to them in their circumcision just as it's signified and sealed today in baptism. Later, when they are then cast into the fiery furnace, 
God shows himself to be their God as he is with them. Verse 24, as Nebuchadnezzar looks into the fiery furnace, it says Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. God is with them as their God. He promised. He signified it. He sealed it in their, in, in their circumcision. And they trusted that. They remembered God's covenant to be their God. He was with them in the flames. Later in chapter 6, one more example. We see this in Daniel. Later in chapter 6, Daniel is um, being conspired against by these satraps who are jealous of him because he's, he's rising in rank in the kingdom. And he's about to receive the kingdom from Nebuchadnezzar. And notice what these conspirers say against Daniel. Chapter 6, verse 5. These men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in the upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Daniel is then cast into a den of lions. And King Darius cries out, may your God deliver you. The next morning, the stone is rolled away. Darius cries out, Daniel, has your God delivered you? Has he saved you? And Daniel, emerging as from the dead, comes out. And he says to the king that that his, that, well, we'll go back one verse. Verse 20, I'll just read it here. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God. What a beautiful statement. Is it something that you can put on your lips as well? It is something. With full confidence, my God. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him, And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he trusted in his God. You see, reflected all throughout these narratives here is God keeping his covenant promise to be Daniel's, Azariah's, Hananiah's, Mishael's God forever. And as he kept it then, so he keeps it today. And you can have full confidence and assurance of that. That you can bank your life. You can lean entirely upon this promise that God is your God. And when you forget that promise, remember your baptism. When you find yourself straying, remember your baptism. When you find yourself in a difficult situation, remember your baptism. Because it signified and sealed to you this very reality, this very promise to be your God. And God will make good on his promises. He must. He cannot deny himself. 
As this was signified and sealed in the circumcision of the four Hebrew boys, so it is signified and sealed in those baptized today, the promise of baptism. Secondly, then, the obligation. In the form that we read, we noted that a covenant has both promises and obligations. Or as we said from the Belgic Confession also, by baptism we are received into God's church and set apart from all other people and alien religions that we may be dedicated, devoted entirely to him, bearing his mark. You are called as those baptized in Christ Jesus to be devoted, dedicated entirely to God. It's in the Westminster Larger Catechism, which you can also find in the back of the Trinity Psalter hymnal. In question and answer 167, it asks this interesting question. It says, how ought we to improve our baptism? When you say improve our baptism, is it something insufficient about baptism? Well, no. Just as the Belgic Confession says that baptism is profitable for us our entire lives, not just when it's administered. Where we remember our baptism. And the Westminster Larger Catechism says we are to improve on our baptism by living out what has been given to us, by living out the promises that God has signified and sealed to us. And part of the answer in Westminster Larger Catechism 167 is this, that we improve our baptism in one way. Well, in one of these many ways, but in one way is this. By endeavoring to live by faith, How do you improve your baptism? By endeavoring to live by faith, to have our conversation in holiness and righteousness, and note, as those that have therein given up their names to Christ. Let me read that again. We improve our baptism by endeavoring to live by faith, to have our conversation in holiness and righteousness as those that have therein given up their names to Christ. Remember we said earlier the temptations, right, to make a name for myself or to receive a name from the world. In baptism, you are called then to give up your name to Christ, even as he gives you his name. Daniel's circumcision as a sign and seal of the covenant, did not call him to nothing, but it called him to a life dedicated entirely to the Lord. So too our baptism calls us to a life devoted entirely to the Lord. Baptism calls Daniel Jerome Ragusa Jr. to a life dedicated entirely to the Lord, to give up his name to Christ. And as Daniel, as we see throughout these narratives, improved upon his circumcision, so believers today are to improve upon their baptism. Daniel and his friends show us a life well lived for the glory of God in union with Christ. The Christ for them who was to come, the Christ for us who has come. And again, that union was signified and sealed in Daniel's circumcision as it was signified and sealed in this Daniel's baptism and in all of our baptism. It calls us to a life devoted to God. Now I want to draw out briefly, I realize time flies by here, but briefly five ways in which we see this played out of Daniel and his friends fully devoted and dedicated to the Lord, fulfilling the obligations of their covenant. 
Firstly, we see it in their faithfulness toward the God who named them, the God who had given them their, his name. We see this with Mishael and Hananiah and Azariah, that when Nebuchadnezzar demanded that all bow before the image that he set up, that they, instead of falling with the sea of people around them, stand tall, because they will bow to no other God than their own God who keeps covenant forever. There is faithfulness before their God. When a decree goes out that none could pray to any other God but to the king for 30 days, Daniel does as he always did. He kneels down in prayer to his God toward Jerusalem. Daniel and his friends, as members of God's covenant, pursued faithfulness to God and and, and pursued that, that, that relationship with him. Secondly, not only faithfulness, but also prayer. Throughout Daniel, we see Daniel and his friends praying to God, giving him thanks. Prayer is uh, your right as a son of God and as one who is members of his covenant. Daniel, in chapter 2, is reminded that the other wise men who worshipped other gods, they make this great confession, a confession that is a summary of all other gods. They say, the gods are far from us. They don't hear us. They can't reveal things. But Daniel is one who prays. Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah are those who pray. And those who are in covenant today pray to their God out of gratitude to him as the highest expression of that gratitude and recognizing that they are dependent upon him. Daniel's circumcision reminded him he was dependent upon God. Baptism reminds us we are dependent upon God. And that dependency is expressed most pointedly, most powerfully in prayer. Faithfulness, prayer, bearing witness. Daniel and his friends, as they appear before the courts of King Nebuchadnezzar, have some of the most powerful statements, bearing witness to, their God, to the God of heaven whom they love and whom they belong to. Not kneeling before these powerful monarchs and kings who hold their lives seemingly in their hands, but rather they bear witness to their being a God in heaven. Daniel's own name bears witness to that. God is my judge. That the decrees of kings will not stand, ultimately in the end, but the decrees of God, ultimately, his judgments are true and forever. That's why when King Nebuchadnezzar thinks that he can use the fiery furnace as an instrument of judgment, God says no. God says no, that instrument of judgment is mine. Not my boys are going to be consumed, but your soldiers will be consumed. When, da- when Darius and those who conspired against Daniel thought that the lion's den was their instrument of judgment, God again says, no. I will save my son Daniel. And it's those who conspired against him who will be consumed, right? God is my judge. And it's to this that Daniel bore witness. And we, as those in covenant with God, bear witness before the world today. Fourth, not only are we faithful and prayerful and bearing witness, but also seeking the glory of God. Daniel in chapter 6, right, has the entire kingdom offered to him on a silver platter, if he but just not pray to God for 30 days. But Daniel was not sent into Babylon to to take it over, to, to obtain its glory. Daniel threw it all away in obedience to his God because he desired the glory that comes from God alone. I love what John Chrysostom, the early church father, says on Ephesians 6, verse 4. He says this, Discipline your son in this. Teach him this. This is the greatest riches. 
Seek not how to give him reputation and high character in outward learning, but consider deeply how you shall teach him to despise the glory that belongs to this present life. By this means would he become more distinguished and more truly glorious. Parents, are we teaching our children to despise the glory that belongs to this present life? That they might desire and love the glory that belongs to the life to come, to the kingdom of heaven. Daniel demonstrates this, and this is what we are called to by the waters of baptism, by the preaching of the gospel signified and sealed in baptism. Faithfulness, prayer, bearing witness, glorying, glorifying God, and finally, heavenly mindedness. Baptism reminds us as a sign and seal of something beyond us that we are to set our gaze heavenward. As Daniel sought the kingdom of heaven, so too all who are baptized into Christ Jesus are to seek the kingdom of heaven and at times cast away the glory of the kingdom of this world when we are called in order that we might be found in him. Faithfulness, prayer, bearing witness, glorifying God, heavenly mindedness. These are the obligations that we are called to walk in and God enables us to walk in by his grace within the context of his covenant. The promises, I will be your God forever. The obligation to be dedicated entirely to him. This was signified and sealed to Daniel and his circumcision. It's signified and sealed to this Daniel and all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus. Now there's so much more I would like to say, but let me come to a conclusion here. And let me remind you that in everything Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah faced in Babylon, every trial, every fiery furnace, and sharp-fanged lion, everything that they faced conspires against them, calls to bow down to idols, everything they faced brought them closer to the Christ. Everything they faced strengthened the bond of union they had with the Christ who was to come. Every trial, every hardship, every test caused them to know their Savior deeper and deeper. Their trials tightened the bond of faith that bound them to the Christ. And take heart in that. Every trial, every test... Every hardship you endure for the sake of Christ will also bring you closer and more tightly knit to your Savior to know Him more deeply. And you can be assured of that because as the waters of baptism signify and seal, His precious blood has forgiven you of your sins and it's brought you into union, into fellowship with the triune God into whose name you have been baptized. Every trial you face will strengthen and tighten your faith in Jesus Christ. Every time you are put through the fiery furnace, your faith will emerge more precious than gold, purified and cleansed. And it is this that we ultimately desire, a closer tie of the life of faith to Christ, the mediator of the covenant of grace, It is he who quickens us, who makes us alive to follow him, to be faithful, to pray, to witness of his glory, to glorify him, and to set our minds on heaven. And some just baptism is a sign and seal 
of, of question and answer one of the Heidelberg Catechism, that I am not my own. I have not named myself. And the name that I live by is not one the world gives me. But I am, I am not my own. But I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we stand in awe of your grace and of your mercy shown to us within your covenant. Father, thank you that your promise is signified and sealed for our weakness in baptism, that we might know that just as truly as the waters have touched the foreheads of Daniel Jerome Ragusa Jr. and has touched the foreheads of the children here, so too is your promise real. So too have you given them your promise. Father, then, as those in covenant with you, may we grow to fulfill the obligations of the covenant, not in our own strength, but with the strength that you provide as we walk in union with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah did long ago. May we, too, remember our baptism, improve upon it, as those who have given up our names entirely to Christ, and may we endeavor then to live by faith until Christ our Lord comes again and faith becomes sight. We pray this all in his name and for his glory. Amen.